Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Monster X, this is your host, Gunnar Monson. Welcome to another episode of Monster X Radio. With me, as always, is my good friend and consummate Bigfoot researcher, Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? Doing fantastic, Gunnar. Um, how are you doing this evening? Doing well, doing well. It's been a very unsquatchy-like weather, uh, at least squatching-like weather. It's been very wet and rainy the last few days, but uh, uh, of course, spring break just started for the kids here in Oregon, so of course it's going to rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I heard, heard you made a trip to Cabela's. Did you find the Bigfoot in the mural there? Yeah, I found that a while back. It's that's pretty cool. <laughs> Cabela's to actually include that in there. In in you know, you walk in the front entrance and they have all these huge murals and stuff and. Man, what a store, but to add that little, uh, kind of that Pacific North Northwest thing, you know, with Sasquatch, uh, you know, uh, uh, really cool stuff. <laughs> That's cool. They, I know they had a, a presentation, I can't remember what store it was in, I, somebody had posted it online a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, they had a, a presentation back east somewhere, and um, in the Cabela's, so they have yeah, a, a little... Uh, yeah, they have a uh, a little taste for for Bigfoot, and it seems like a good fit, you know, Bigfoot and Cabela's. So um, hand in hand, hand in hand. So yeah, I know that the owners of Cabela's are probably listening to Monster X. So if you're interested in carrying a Sasquatch coffee, let give me a call. I'd love to work with you. <laughs> so <laughs> seems like a good place to find some Sasquatch coffee. 
yeah, absolutely. Go the, hand uh, in hand with that camping. <laughs> hand, hand in giant, hand in giant hand. Yeah. So uh, we've got a bunch of uh, Bigfoot conferences coming up. We got uh, uh, coming up in April. We've got Team Squatch in USA's uh, habituation con- conference up in Washington, which uh, Matt Johnson is uh, and. Uh, you can get a hold, find out more information at www.teamsquatchinusa.com. And we've got the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. Um, there's a couple coming up in Ohio. Uh, in looks like they're in close proximity of each time frame. There's the Ohio Bigfoot Conference May 16th at Salt Fork Lodge and Conference Center. And you can check that out at www.ohiobigfootconference.com. And then there's Creature Weekend also at uh, South South Fork, and that's uh, May 1st through the 3rd. Um, it's the 4th annual, and uh, you can check that out at www.creatureweekend.com. And then uh, we've got the second annual Florida Skunk Ape Conference, um, which is being hosted by Stacy Brown, and you check that out at www.thesasquatchhunters.com. I just got a Facebook message this week from Stacy asking if I'd like to come sponsor, be a sponsor, uh, and I'm still, the jury's still out on that. So a bunch of uh, different conferences coming up. I'm sure there's more. If you you uh, have one that we've missed, give us, uh, send us a message, and we'll include it in the future uh, broadcast. So what have you been up to this week, Shane? I know there was a uh, – I've been watching the uh, – <laughs> the debacle, I'll say, with Sasquatch Chronicles. So, um, I just honestly stood by in disbelief in the, how uh, something can get so go so far so fast, and uh, mm-hmm. um, and the way that people—it's uh, always strange to me because it's like a, this handful of people that that. Uh, uh, keep going on and, you know, and, and fuel the fire and, and, uh, seem entirely intent and their whole purpose seems to be just to tear people down. And, and, uh, um, honestly to me, I, I, you know, I, I lean towards believing the, the guy's stories. Um, and, uh, what really doesn't matter is that they, you know, there's, they have a great product, a great program in the Sasquatch Chronicles, and uh, so regardless if they uh, if their story wasn't true or if it is true, that it's a whole separate issue of whether or not people want to listen to to their program and uh, and and people. I mean, it was like talking about their you know finances and and I, I understand you know I, I understand you know it got too much and. And uh, a couple of their hosts left, and and now things are kind of quieting down. So they're you've talked to Wes, I know, um, and they're gonna they're gonna continue the show, right? Oh yeah, the show's not going anywhere. I mean, they're gonna continue on with the show. Um, you know, they, they do provide a great show. Uh, you know, I believe, and people either choose to listen or they don't. Um, they choose to pay for the the product that's provided, or they don't. 
I've never had any issues with that. Um, I I like Wes and Woody. I'm, I've met them both. And you know, with the, as far as their stories concerned, um, yeah, people pointed out some inconsistencies, but uh, a lot of those can be explained away. You know, and and at the end of the day, you know, there's no way to disprove or prove their encounter. There's no way to disprove or prove my encounter, or you know, there's there's just no way to do that. So. Um, you know, I understand people asking questions. They, of course, questions should be asked. That's just, that's just natural. You know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, our, our guest this evening, you know, and with the Falcon Project, you know, of course people are welcome to ask questions, and um, at the end of the day they can choose to agree or disagree, but guess what? The show must go on. The show's going to go on. These things are going to be uh, done regardless, but uh, it's the way, I, the most disturbing thing for me is the way people handle themselves and the attacks, and it's just, um, yeah, it's like, I don't know, I just don't get it. It gets so heated and, and vile, and, and you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, where are you going to get with all the arguments? I just don't, it, you know, I just I just avoid it, you know, and uh, fortunately, I haven't been slammed by anybody yet, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and I, Gunner, you really haven't either, you know. But yeah, these things are going to oh, carry on. A, yeah, I had a, a run-in the first week that I, that I, I was on Monster X. I had a guy that that uh, had a Facebook group and and decided that, uh, and he, he'd already like had a, uh, a big problem with Cliff Barrickman, and uh, <clears throat> and he I've met him basically through. Sasquatch coffee, and I, you know, I, I thought he was kind of kooky anyway, but because uh, he's, you know, a lot of uh, that he could walk out and, and find twenty Bigfoots, and and uh, for some reason after, you know, he took a, a picture that was because I was friends with with uh, Jeff Kelly and the guys had been at uh, down at Bluff Creek, and they and took they took a goofy picture where they had guns, rifles, and stuff, and. All of a sudden, I was a Bigfoot killer, and and, uh, and uh, how dare you? I find it, it might, yeah. Well, and it was and it, it was funny the how uh, he just kept at it. And, and my my solution for that is just Facebook has a very nice feature if you can you can pretend like somebody doesn't exist called block. Um, and that's I I exercise my freedom of blocking, and and as far as I know, that guy doesn't exist anymore. So. I had a little bit. I actually had a little bit of a run-in with the guy because he was going after our friend Larry, and I just said, "Hey, you don't. I don't know you. You don't know me, but I do know Larry, and uh, you know your your characterization of him is is inaccurate." And he and he immediately turned around. It's like it's it's funny because it's and uh, it's like a mad dog, and you you know you you they'll direct their uh, venom at you just as easily as anybody else, and. And that, mm-hmm. that that was the only statement I made. And then when he decided that that uh, to make me a target, I just blocked him. So next, I don't you know don't have time for that crap. So, uh, but don't exactly. you know, don't attack people that are. I mean, I'm not going to stand by and watch people attack my friends for for no reason. So yeah, you still have time for it, and you got bigger and no. better things to do. So uh, uh, move on. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Well, we've got a couple of uh, the gentlemen that are are uh, going to be part of the ground crew for the the Falcon Project that are standing by waiting for us, and uh, so 
Yeah. Let's go ahead and invite them on to the show. Kirk, excuse me, Brandon Berg and Randy. And Randy, I'm sorry if I, I'm not remembering your last name. Here Gentlemen, you. welcome to Monster X. Thank you. Hi, nice to be here. Huh. Glad to have you both. Thanks, Gunnar. Thanks, Shane. Nice to hear your voice again, Randy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, so uh, Kurt and Randy, you guys are uh, have committed to going out and uh, working with the Falcon Project as part of the ground crew, for, and uh, quite a commitment to to uh, spend six months of your life out in the, uh, you know, to go out and, and stay in the woods for for six months. What's uh, what's your background and what got you into the you know let's start out by finding tell our audience a little bit about yourselves and how you got into big footing and and uh, Kirk why don't you go ahead and go first All right um, I have always had an interest in Bigfoot ever since I was a kid uh, Many people point to In Search of with Leonard Nimoy and his Bigfoot episodes I remember seeing those and I was just fascinated and uh, I have always followed it on the internet when that became a popular area to get Bigfoot information. And then I was talking to a friend who uh, shared that he saw two of them on a logging road, and I knew that he would not lie, that this was a real thing. I decided to need to get off the couch out from behind the keyboard in 2009 and start getting out there and getting involved. And that's when I attended a BFRO expedition. And uh, it was just fascinating. It was a, an amazing world of uh, being out in the woods with these Bigfoot researchers, and I just dove in and got heavily involved and became involved with the BFRO and uh, attended expeditions, eventually organized and hosted expeditions, and then uh, it just kept growing from there. So I've only been involved actively in the field since '09, but boy, the time I've spent in the woods researching and uh, interacting with other researchers since then has been extensive. So I've learned a lot quickly. Very cool. Randy, what what brought you to piqued your interest in Bigfooting? Well, I mean, if, if, if you call this the, the pinnacle of my research, and that is getting involved with this project because of the scope of this project, uh, and, and I would call it the pinnacle of my research up to this point. Uh, when I started, it was in like 2003, and uh, I was a full-time firefighter at the time, and uh, I uh, joined together with two other firefighters, and we all bought ATVs. And uh, I had read a few books about Bigfoot at that point uh, when I was younger, uh, and, and I was really interested in it. And you know, I was following reports on the computer and things like that. But the two gentlemen that I was going to go ATVing with left it up to me to find out where we could go ATVing. So I looked into <laughs> where there were the most Bigfoot sightings, and uh, it was LaFleur County, Oklahoma, uh, which at the time has had that county has had more sightings uh, than any other county east of the Rockies. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, or west of the Rockies, whatever. So we went down there, got a cab, and, and hired a guy to take us around on a 60-mile loop through the Kaimichi Mountains, which is the southeast corner of Oklahoma. And I just was asking the guy, I was talking to the guy that was taking us around, and 
they asked him about Bigfoot, and you know, and, and he was talking to me in such a nonchalant, casual way about Bigfoot. You just you had to believe the guy. He was like, he was like, yeah, they're here. He said, you know, he said we don't try. He owned some part of a logging company, so he had a lot of experience with clearing roads and foot tracks that were found on roads after they'd clear them. And so he just told me, he just said, yeah, they're here. He said we don't try to convince anybody that they're here, but every once in a while you'll have one across the road in front of your vehicle. He said they're here. And it was because of that conversation that I said to myself, if they're here, I have got to see one. That is all there is to it. I have got to see one. And so that was really the beginning of my quest in 2003. I I spent so much time. As you know, fire department schedules allows you a lot of leeway. And every two weeks I'd have four days off. So I was driving down every two weeks to the Kaimichi Mountains and just spending all four days down there. And eventually it was... 2006. I mean, I had a lot of things happen. I learned a lot. I learned about, you know, techniques and tree knocks and vocalizations and all the kind of things that you could glean from other people's reports. And I had some things happen that did not culminate in a sighting. But in 2006, uh, February of 2006, I, I had an incredible encounter with two of these creatures that came into my campsite. Uh, I, I watched them. I saw them very close. I, I would guess 10 to 12 feet. At that, it, this thing was massive, probably eight and a half foot tall, and there was a small one that was with it. Uh, clearly a juvenile, but even the juvenile wasn't tiny. I, I would say the juvenile was about five and a half foot tall, but compared to the big one, it looked tiny, but it was not tiny by itself. Uh, anyway, so and there was a lot of behaviors from that encounter. I, I, I witnessed, I heard, I, I saw, and I watched, and 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 all of these things put together that I measure against other people's reports. When I read other reports, I look for things that that happen to me that I can test the validity of somebody's report. So anyway, so since that point when that happened, it's it's really become an obsession. And this is just the next logical step. You know, everybody complains about not having enough money and funding and, you know, backing and all that. And so, you know, anybody should want to get on board with this project just because it has the potential that we haven't had since, you know, with all our own single research. But anyways, that's how I got here. That's awesome. So uh, what? how did you guys get involved in the, the Falcon project? Well, for myself, this is Kirk. Um, I've always heard of the Falcon project. You know, William's uh, William Barnes has promoted it pretty well, and I always thought it was just the the airship aspect. And uh, I, whenever I heard mention of the ground team, my thoughts pictured a group of people sitting around the campfire, waiting for a notice on the radio to, "Hey, we saw something in this sector, this grid. Go over and check it out." And that, that kind of thing never really uh, interested me much. And uh, it wasn't until the end of December of 2014 when William got a call for ground crew members, and a friend of mine posted a link in a little Facebook group that we have and suggested that I might look into it. And I laughed and said, yeah, right, I'd never do that. <laughs> but then as the more I looked at it and realized what William's plan was for the ground team, that uh, it would be a group of people out there for an extended period of time deep in the wilderness 
armed with technology like thermal imagers, audio recorders, infrasound detectors, taking a disciplined scientific approach to the whole effort that just said, that, yeah, that's exactly what I've been wanting to do for a long time, but you can never find anybody to do it with you. And you hear we're going to have like 10 or more guys out there doing it. Sign me up. So I did. I contacted William and talked to him <coughs> and uh, said, sure, I'll do it. And he uh, was kind enough to let me participate. Randy, Randy, what about you? Well, you know, just just like Kirk said, uh, you know, I saw all the information on the computer that uh, came up to the point where he was looking for ground members, and uh, I just I just thought right then, my wife and I had just downsized from a big four bedroom, three bath house with an in ground pool that we could hardly upkeep because our our daughters had moved out, and so now we were just. Uh, you know, uh, empty nesters with this huge house. So we had just downsized into just a small little ranch, very affordable. And so, so we had scaled back, uh, you know, our expenditures by, by doing that. And when this came available, I told my wife, you know, I said, you could live here and pay all the bills off what you make. I said, I have got to do this. And so that's how I sold myself to William, uh, when I initially called him, I, I said, "I said, look, I said, I know the biggest hurdle for you to get uh, 15 guys to be able to commit to this is being able to pull themselves away from life for six months and still have their bills paid, still be able to, you know, everything be able to function while they're away. I said, I just made my life that way so I can take advantage of this. I said, I will pay my own way there. I will get myself there. You know, I mean, you don't have to do anything. I, it was only after that initial conversation that, I, that now I realize that at least they'll be paying our expenses. But at that point, I was telling him, I will get myself there. I will buy everything that I need to do this. That's how important it was to me on a personal quest, not not just for society and, and, and for the furtherance of, of, of this creature's, uh, you know, understanding of this creature and maybe its protection or anything. This is really a selfish thing for me because – I need this just because of, of what I've been through since 2003 and, and my fighting and how it, it, it completely takes over your thoughts. I mean, I think about it every day. And, <laughs> and you know, especially, you know, when you saw what I saw that night, it's just – and I try to convince people and I talk to people about it. I never shy away from talking about it. But, you know, this this really is what's needed. And, and it, Shane was talking before – you know, before the show uh, about, you know, the turmoil and the, just the, you know, all the backstabbing and the fighting with, within this arena. And, man, we really need this. We need something else to hang our hats on to move forward with this because we haven't done anything over the past 10, 12, 15 years. Everybody's been doing it on their own, and everyone seems to be overlapping each other, doing the same things, working with game cams, working with the handheld thermal, doing whatever – but they never seem to step out beyond what everybody else is doing. So how do we do that without something like this, to, you know, with the, with the proper funding and, and the project laid out in a, in a doable way with the proper funding? So you have to get on board with this just, just because it's different and we need something different. Um, Kirk, I know you live up here in the Pacific Northwest. You live in Washington. Um, yes. 
Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're, you're fairly familiar with, with the Pacific Northwest, its uh, climate and whatnot. Randy, you are not from the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you've ever been out this way, and if you haven't, uh, what have you done to prepare for for um, uh, your trip out this way? And uh, what what have you done to prepare yourself for like the weather? And uh, I mean, you're traveling a distance, um, yeah. you know. Uh, so I, and I imagine because of that, you've had to spend your your expenditures uh, for say equipment and clothing and all that. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, have gone up. What what, what have you done to prepare uh, both both? Uh, research-wise and, and equipment-wise to get out here? Well, most of my research over the years, I, I'm a real loner. So so mm-hmm. being being dropped in with 15 or 16 other guys, that's really going to be the culture shock for me because I have had my best research alone. And so so the training that I've done for myself is, you know, I've often go, gone out for two or three weeks at a time, you know, in the Kaimichi Mountains, in the, and all of my research is late fall, into spring, so I, I like the winter months. So, you know, I've been down there when it's, I mean, bitterly cold, you know, up to two weeks at a time. So I, I've been in some pretty sticky camping situations. And I also, in 2012, I went up to the Blue Mountains south of Walla Walla, drove up there by myself and spent two weeks in the Blue Mountains, specifically with using the two books written by uh, Vance Orchard uh, about Paul Freeman. And they had they have locations within that book about sightings that they had had. So I visited all those spots and spent the night in places that were in that book just because that's what I do. I mean, I just, I just enjoy it so much. And uh, so so, so I, at least I'm familiar with the terrain, you know, how rugged it is. And uh, that doesn't bother me. I, I'm very physically fit. Uh, just just the other day I benched 405 on the bench. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm very fit. But but I am getting older. I mean, I'm 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 48 years old, almost 49, and I know that it's not always going to be capable to to take advantage of this. I can do it right, right now, but it doesn't mean I'll be able to do it three or four years from now. You just never know how your health is going to go. So that's another reason why you had to jump on this. But as far as spending my money, uh, it's my understanding after talking to William several times, and he's actually told us to hold off on buying any particular equipment because he's working to get some of that provided for us, whether it be from right. a big retail company. It could be Cabela's. I don't know. But, it, but one of these big you know, retail camping stores may provide some of what we need, and, and we're just going to fill in the gaps. Gotcha. And, and, and Kirk, uh, I, you know, like I said before, you are from the Pacific Northwest, living in Washington, what have you done, though, to prepare uh, for this trip, and what are you bringing to the table? Well, um, I go to the woods out here all the time, so I already have a large um, gear selection that I'm using all the time. But uh, one of the greatest things about signing up to participate in the Falcon Project ground crew is the endless excuses that I have to visit RAI and Cabela's. And Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, there's a new kind of tent peg out. I might need to have that. You know, it could save my life. I better go check it out. And uh, so, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time at uh, these big stores with all the outdoor, outdoor gear. And um, uh, just like Randy said, William has been trying to uh, get a sponsor to supply some gear for the team. Uh, nothing's come through yet. It's still in the works. 
but um i've i've gone out and uh gotten a lot of gear already myself and uh if if a sponsor does come through then i'll just have backups and and um you can never have too much good stuff i always like to and i've also spent a lot of time uh talking to my friend tyler bounds many people know tyler he's oh, a yeah. gear guru huge <laughs> and i've been gear bending guru. his ear on uh mm-hmm. what 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 tent should i have what sleeping bag should i have et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Tyler's fantastic with that. You know, he he was a cameraman and uh all round guy for uh the show Finding Bigfoot. I mean he was um I've had the the fortunate pleasure of meeting Tyler quite a few times and being out in the field with him and yeah, great so, that guy is so knowledgeable. <laughs> so yeah, right. awesome stuff. Well, One of Kurt, the things that we're we're having oh, trouble with though that we're we're still trying to sort out is uh, we're going to need a lot of uh, batteries to run the thermals. Uh, I know from the thermal imaging camera that I have, uh, it just devours batteries. And and we're going to have 10 at least thermal imagers out there in addition to audio equipment. A lot of things running on batteries, and uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to keep those charged. And we're examining uh, solar chargers. Uh, there's a new item from BioLite called uh, the Kettle Charge, and in addition to the BioLite's little stove that generates electricity. So we're uh, we're looking into those kind of things. That's all part of the process of putting the gear together to be able to make things work when we're deep in the wilderness. Excellent. Uh, now, uh, one of the questions and issues I guess a lot of people have um with this project um is uh you know I, you know Randy's believer Kurt, where do you lie is with with Sasquatch are you a 100% believer uh and whatnot? and then how if you are or not how does that play into what you guys are going to be doing on the field because a lot of people have an issue with the fact that um people may have a a, a formed an opinion uh and may not be biased enough in the field uh, to pick apart what's Sasquatch and what's not. How do you answer those sort of questions, Kirk? And, and it kind of goes along with Randy. Uh, after Kirk, go ahead, and then Randy can jump in. Okay. Well, I, I'm very skeptical by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm 100% believer that the Sasquatch species is out there. But I'm always frustrated with fellow researchers and how quick they are to jump to unjustified conclusions so that something was caused by a Sasquatch. Um, I need to have some type of corroborating evidence before I'll consider anything to be genuinely from or caused by a Sasquatch. Um, I've never had a daytime sighting, but experiences that I've had, seeing one, I believe, through a thermal at night, things I've heard, talking to eyewitnesses, that has pushed me to the 100% belief that they exist. But I'm very skeptical, as I was saying, that uh, evidence needs to be solid before ever presented to the public. It it needs to have a firm foundation. You can't just find some uh, smudges in the dirt on your car the next morning and say that a Sasquatch did it. You know, that's just, there's no conclusion uh, 
that you can reach that that was caused by a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But a lot of folks say that, and I guess I'm happy for them that they get excited about it and everything, but I can't mm-hmm. consider a smudge on my car to be from a Sasquatch. So I'm going to go out there as a 100% believer, yes, but I'm also going to bring with me a high standard for any evidence that we collect. Mm-hmm. And not only will myself and many others like Randy have such a standard, but it all will have to go through a panel that will review it before anything will be released to the public. Yeah, Kirk, and, and I, I've had you know the fortunate pleasure of meeting you uh, a few <coughs> times and, and, and following you, and uh, I, I know um, of many others that have worked with you, and um, uh, you're, you are stand out. Uh, you know, stand up and stand out as far as I'm concerned as uh, a participant in this project. I'm really stoked you're actually a part of it because I I know of your procedures and your etiquette and the whole nine. So when I found out you were a part of this project, man, I was just stoked. I was like, right on. Uh, Kirk's the man, and uh, he's a perfect uh, associate to have out in the field on this particular project. So give you some kudos there, man. You're very kind. Oh. Uh, Randy, uh, same sort of question to you. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, well, I'm fully satisfied that the things that are already set in place, and there's going to be protocols, we are actually going to arrive before we take off for base camp. We are going to be there for a while, up to a week or two, I've, I've heard, because we're going to be going over things. Uh, some people from L.A. are going to be coming up and going over the high-definition cameras with us and all the camera systems that we're going to be using and how to how to work them correctly and exchange batteries and all that stuff. But we're also going to have classes over protocols, safety protocols, uh, gun usage, uh, all kinds of things, uh, a new way of track casting that uh, will allow us to possibly uh, get better dermal ridges, uh, a different way of casting tracks. So there's several things that are, that are on the plate that m- must be learned and utilized before we, you know, march off, you know, into the woods. You know, and we're also going to be going over forensic collection of evidence, you know, sterilized tweezers, you know, rubber gloves, all those kind of things. And the fact that we're going to have cameras running 24-7, we're going to have GoPro-type cameras with high definition that's going to be filming everything during the day when we're out and about. Uh, if we collect stuff, you will actually be able to see the collection process. So, so nothing will ever be just said by word of mouth. It's, it's going to be right. backed up by video. So, so, so when you see that, let's say, let's say a swab of blood off of a briar is is swabbed by a Q-tip that was taken out of a single wrapped Q-tip sterilization thing, and you see all this was done and packaged correctly. That way, you know, we can get that chain of command, you know, or chain of evidence, you know, put together properly. And so, so I'm satisfied that if by some strange chance, one of these men or, you know, whoever thought that they're going to be cute or funny and think that they're going to try to hope something, not only would they have a hard time getting by me or Kirk or I'm going to assume several of the other guys, I, I really don't think that anybody's going to jeopardize their position on this crew by being so silly. And uh, and, and plus I like the way that uh, – way our filming is going to, going to take place. I mean, we're going to be positioned in set points 
that we are not going to be moving. We're not going to be deviating from the plan. Nobody will leave their position and try to follow a creature if they should happen to be filming one. That is absolutely going to be a no-no because it's a safety issue. We would rather have these creatures come around out of curiosity and we film them while they're doing that rather than you leaving your position and think that you're going to follow a family unit of these things and then change it from curious to anxiety and aggression because you're following them. So, so there's going to be protocols that people are going to have to fall within. And so I'm very confident that there's, you know, whether biased or not, I, certainly I'm biased. I don't even have to entertain the thoughts whether or not these things are real or not so I can get beyond that. If that if that's different for somebody who's never seen one, man, I can't I can't even hardly comment on that because well, what can I say? I can't speak for somebody else. I can only speak for myself. Well, I can speak as and I know that uh, that's Shane's position is. Uh, I mean, he he has had a visual encounter and I have not, so I always reserve like two percent. You know that everybody that ever saw says they saw one is crazy until I absolutely until until <laughs> I and I think that, and that that I think is is like everybody who's out in the the research field that hasn't had a visual encounter of their own has reserves a little bit till right. they have had that themselves. So well, there but are different the standards big, for visual encounters. Also, I mean, I've right. seen twice. I've seen a a brown blob moving between trees and the brush. And some people may have chalked that up to two daytime visual encounters of a Sasquatch, but for myself, I can't. I saw some brown blob moving in the brush. It could have been a Bigfoot. It could have been an elk. Who knows? But I don't say I had a daytime visual sighting of a Bigfoot. Well, that's I, that's where I'm at as terms. I mean, it, I, it sounds... To me, Kirk, like you process evidence the way that that Shane and I do is very. It goes from, I mean, it has. It, there's a lot of people I, that I'm sure you run across as well as I have that that you know have Bigfootitis, and uh, yes. everything is you know, and it, it's very frustrating to to. Uh, it's frustrating to, to us people. that they live in a very right. happy world. Yes, <laughs> they're quite happy. Yes, so. Yes. Um, and, but uh, one of the one of the big questions that's come up, obviously, is that is the idea of of utilizing an airship. What are your guys' feelings on the airship? And uh, um, you know, is it what what there's because there's a big piece of the project that that is based on just being on the ground for an, this extended period of time. And, and myself, I, I see that as having huge value if nothing else was going on. But the airship adds uh, a whole other dimension, has the potential to to be a huge tool. So what are you guys feeling on that? Well, uh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the Falcon Project has been promoting the airship for a long time. And, and from the beginning, first time I saw it, I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Why not? Give it a shot. Uh, especially I've used thermal camera since uh, January 2010, and I know uh, what an effective, useful tool it can be. And um, put one of those on an airship and look down in an area that has a uh, canopy that's in a more arid forest where you can see between the trees better. I think I thought it was a great idea, and I'm looking forward to when the ground team can work with the airship 
we'll have a coordinated effort where the airship will be um, operated by somebody looking at the images being sent to the monitor from the airship's clear camera. And uh, if they see something of interest, they can engage the ground crew to check out a certain area, or if the ground crew is experiencing things, hearing sounds in a certain direction, they can send the airship uh, where they think something might be happening. So I think it will double our efforts, obviously, and uh, make the, uh, both, if when they're working in conjunction, both more effective. Meaning ground crew and airship. Right. And the... What do you say to the people that say it's not going to work? Well, um, I think the main reason, the main objective that people have, or objection that people have to the airship is that it won't be able to uh, see through the tree canopy to the forest canopy, and that's why um, the location that it's going to be used in is a forest that has a uh, thinner dispersion of trees. Uh, you can look at the areas where we're going to be using the airship and or potentially you know they're not for sure exactly where it's going to go yet but the potential locations you can look at those areas on google earth and you can see the ground through the trees you can see the shadows being cast by the trees and that's because the trees are thin enough uh, because of the lower levels of precipitation that that area gets and um, there are plenty of Sasquatch sightings in those areas so we're pretty confident that the Sasquatches live there and uh, the tree canopy will allow us to be able to use the airship and the thermal camera attached to it to see the ground and see through the trees. Yeah, that was going to kind of lead into my next question which was... um, you guys are obviously, well, I would assume, uh, privy to some of these areas that the uh, research is going to take place in. Right. How confident are you that um, these are good areas uh, and that there's the, the, the possibility or chance of, of obtaining evidence via either uh, the blimp or via you know the ground crew? Randy, you want that one? Sure. Uh, yeah. I've looked, you know, yeah, we are privy to the area. We've, we've looked at the area up close, you know, in talking with William and, and pinpointing these, these locations. I have no reason to believe that they are not good areas. I mean, the, I mean what do you say is a good area? Areas where there are lots of people that go uh, mountain biking or hiking, or, you know, in national parks, they have sightings there. So this is an area that's exactly the same with, with, with rivers that supply water to whatever animals are in the area. But the traffic, the foot traffic, is so light there. I mean, you may get one hunter in there per season, and that is it. I mean, this is really way off the beaten trail that you're, you know, with no trails, no nothing. So we're just going to have to assume that they're there because there are in places like that. And but the reason there hasn't been a lot of sightings in that area is because there is no people. So that 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 just makes you know sense to me. But as far as the camera is concerned and the and the dirigible. Uh, you know, it's really a matter of economics, and, and I'm no, I'm no airship expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, the, so I really steer clear from uh, trying to act like I do know anything about it. But what's been told to me makes sense in an economic uh, standpoint, and that is, 
somewhere along the line, someone was developing this uh, airship for the for Hollywood, you know, because to rent a helicopter to do these air shots was costing like $150 an hour to rent a helicopter. So, so if you need a helicopter for two or three days shooting, you're talking big chunks of change. But so, so I, I think for uh, monetary reasons, somebody says, well, I'm going to develop an airship that will work the same as a helicopter. It can still fly around. It can move around. It. And anyways, so, so think of it like that. But the only problem is, I guess, the people in Hollywood decided, well, they would rather spend $150 an hour for two days shooting rather than spend $250,000 on an airship. So, so it's still an economic decision on the Hollywood people's part to not go in that direction. But that doesn't mean it wasn't developed for that. So if, if somebody took the time to develop that, and that's how it segued into us being able to use it, I mean, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me that not everybody has the knowledge of what exactly was done to this airship or how it was stabilized or how it was put together. You know, so pe- there's a lot of people that make assumptions, and, and, you know, they may be an expert in dirigibles, and they may be an expert in the Hindenburg or whatever else. But, you know, to, to say that they know that this thing is not going to work, that doesn't, that doesn't fly with me. So uh, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, and and I didn't sign up because of the airship. I, I signed up because of what the what the ground crew can accomplish. If the airship is uh, eventually built, and it functions as advertised, fantastic. If it doesn't, I think that the ground crew alone stands this excellent chance of uh, obtaining evidence just from the efforts that we're going to put forth. Me too. Yeah, I really think I really think that we we can get what what needs to be gotten off the ground. That's why I really, I really like this project. You know, um, in for argument's sake, just say that, you know, I, I believe that the airship will will get off the ground at some point. When I'm not sure, uh, but I, I love this project because of the, uh, the ground crew um, and some of the equipment being used and some of the personnel. So I think, you know, for like I said, argument's sake, if the if the blimp never takes off, never gets off the ground. Uh, like I said, I'm, I am a proponent that it will. Um, the ground crew, I think, can do some phenomenal stuff. I think you guys are are going to be steadfast in your research and in um, what you're doing out there in the field. And uh, I think it's it's exciting. Uh, and I hope people really uh, stay tuned to to what could be and, and stay positive about this project because uh, with people like you guys involved, it brings a whole new element into it. Um, you know, with your experience and, and backgrounds and everything else, it's it's exciting. So I don't get hung up on whether or not this, this blimp's going to get off the ground. I, I said I think it's going to, but I'm really looking forward to what you guys are bringing to the table and what you guys may or may not discover. Uh, it's exciting. Well, you know what's great is the the potential for overlapping evidence. When you've got 15 guys set up in a grid pattern, let's just say we're 300, 300 yards apart and set up in a grid pattern along a river or something. Let's say it's the only river in this area, and we've gone through two or three years of almost drought conditions. So you know, this, this river is going, could possibly be a great place to line guys up every two or 300 yards. And, and the thermal cameras that we have, it's my understanding, the thermal camera that I use 
myself is just one of those FLIR pathfinders that's got a fixed field of view, fixed, you know, you can't zoom or anything. But the cameras that we're going to have, I'm, it's my understanding that we're either going to have 60-millimeter lenses or 100-millimeter lenses where you can zoom in. So the depth of what we can see is going to be so much increased by the, the better cameras. So, so imagine being able to, you know, have overlapping videos where let's just say I'm watching the side of this mountain and, and I eventually see something coming down this mountain along a ridge and I'm able to track it and film it. It comes down and it's moving towards somebody else and getting ready to leave my field of view and I can radio the next guy down the line and say, man, it's heading in your direction. I just filmed it for five minutes. There's three of them and then they can pick it up. Uh, and since we're going to be filming from fixed locations, that means since we're never out running around in the woods, which is going to be very hard to to pinpoint specific locations, but when we are in a fixed position, we could actually stand a person in the exact spot, like by a tree that this thing stood by for a while or whatever, and and overlay the size difference. So you can see that here's a six foot two man standing overlaid at the same image of this creature. You can see that it was easily eight foot or nine foot. So so there's going to be things like that that are going to be easier to do. Uh, plus, you know, if you can find foot tracks or hairs that were snagged into a tree that it was walking by or standing by, and all of this overlaps the video that you may have. So there's, the way the evidence could possibly overlap each other really solidifies it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What, what are you guys, what, between you both, what are some of your, I guess, uh, do you guys have any concerns? Any, what are your, some of your biggest concerns um, partaking in this project? And have you... How much research have you done, uh, say, on some of the other uh, ground crew members that are going to be out there? Do you have any concerns there? Are you guys pretty confident with, with who uh, you guys will be aligned with? Um, this is Kirk. Um, yeah, it, William selected his team. Uh, they're guys that he put his trust in. He has extensive experience uh, talking to folks on the telephone through his sales background and he is a pretty good judge of character, and uh, uh, everybody on the team did something to impress him and pass his evaluation, and so I just uh, have to trust that he did a good job. And, yes, of course, I've uh, looked into some of the background and history and and uh, gotten opinions from others on members of the team that I was not aware of or I'd never heard of or, or met before. Yeah. just to try to get a better handle on who I'm going to be out there with. And right. uh, I'm comfortable completely. I, I've uh, greatly enjoyed being part of the project to this point, uh, largely due to being able to meet people on the team, such as Randy and um, Nathaniel and mm -hmm. Christopher and Jason and Michael and all those guys. They're all pretty good fellows. And I'm looking forward to spending time out there, and I'm hoping we'll all come out of the woods in five to six months best friends. <laughs> but uh, if not, we're going to work at it, do the best we can to get through our differences and and not strangle each other. <laughs> but I'm pretty optimistic that we'll be we'll be just fine. You know, and that's why it's important for, to have certain protocols uh, for behavior of when things happen and, and, and how we're going to be taking care of things. As long as things are crystal clear from the beginning as far as protocols, and that comes from my fire department background. I mean, being a captain or a driver operator in, in charge of a crew of men, you know, in a stressful situation, you always fall back on protocols and, and the SOGs and standard operating procedures. If you have a clear understanding of what's expected and what 
what people are to do, then that lessens any differences, that lessens any, uh, you know, any problems. Uh, so, so I know that that's going to be important and we're going to be going over some of those things. So uh, that should alleviate, alleviate a lot of problem areas that could uh, arise just because of the differences of 15, 16 guys going out there and then being thrown into a, a pot and mixing us up. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a, a business, and, and, and if we treat it like a business and do what we're supposed to be doing, I think we're going to be fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I you agree. Can just, you, you can yeah. tell just from listening to Randy talk that he'll most likely assume the leader position quite quickly in the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that that brings up a great question, though, because I, I know uh, a few of the, the, the ground crew members, and quite honestly, a lot of you guys – are uh, a bit of a uh, you had that leadership quality and and whatnot, but I don't think you guys uh, just from the few I do know, I don't think that that's a bad thing, and I don't think it will overwhelm anybody. Um, leadership's important, it, but with your SOPs and everything else, it's it's important for everybody to kind of know their role and to know that, uh, like William said before, if there's any sort of skullduggery bullcrap. Put out there, you're you're, you're out. Simple, you're out. Uh, it, it, you know, he expects to yes, lose some William people. William calls the shots. Yeah, yeah, he expects to lose some people, and not necessarily because of that. Uh, life, life happens, you know, and and he may have to bring in other people. But um, I think, I think, um, as a team, if you know, there could be quite a few uh, <clears throat> chefs in the kitchen, uh, but if you stick to the protocol and the SOPs and everything else. Uh, and and listen to one another. There shouldn't be too many issues. A lot of people talk about, well, you know, six months out there, uh, away from um, <clears throat> the the living world and everything else. Uh, people will get bored. People will uh, will get you know cabin fever and the whole nine. I don't yep. I don't I don't see that being an issue with you guys. I don't know all of the crew, but I just know what you know. And I trust in William that he said, like he said that. If there's any sort of uh, mischief, mischievous stuff going on, when I, I mean, you're out. Uh, it's simple as that. Well, I'm, I'm, there's, there's always the possibility also that uh, there could be personality conflicts that just linger and linger and fester and grow and get worse. And there's definitely a possibility that there may be a Survivor or Big Brother TV show component <laughs> where the, the, the tribe will have to vote a member out, you know. And yeah. If it happens, it happens. Because William's not going to be out there. Uh, right. We're, he's right. just going to have to take what we say. But um, obviously, we're going to do our darndest to get along. But we'll right. we, just don't turn, we just don't want to turn into Lord of the Flies. That's right. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> but you know, thankfully, so, thankfully, uh, William had it set up in a way that most of the runners initially uh, applying for ground crew. So that works out really good. So these guys have went ahead and accepted a runner position, which means they're going to be hiking in supplies and fresh batteries and taking out the videos and all that stuff. So they accepted the position of being a runner in lieu of being on the ground team with the understanding that not everybody is going to make it six months. Not everybody – somebody might tap out after two months. And when that happens – one of the runners who initially wanted to be a ground crew will step into that position, and a new runner will come in to be a runner. Mm-hmm. Well, that so brings up the... another question, actually, and one that I, I just kind of came to my head right now, because I know some of these runners. I know the organizer of the runners in, in uh, Cindy Cadell. 
are, are, looking at the list, is there any females going to be out there with you guys? I don't, I don't believe that there is. I could be wrong. I thought I saw one. Could be, yeah. Well, I'm yeah, not there, sure. there just, are some ladies who are applying to be runners, yes. But yeah, uh, the yeah. ground crew is not going to have any ladies. It's going to be all men. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just something that popped in my head right now I haven't really considered in the past. Well, William, uh, William did that on purpose. William didn't yeah. want to have any uh, any potential gender conflicts, and he, he also was yeah. concerned about um, – there are many reports of having a woman in camp, and the Sasquatch comes into camp, and that's the tent they mess with where the woman is. Mm-hmm. The do, do, do the you potential see, so, that there's uh, an attraction, uh, uh, gender yeah. or sex-based attraction, of the male Sasquatch to the human female, and and uh, William didn't want to put a woman in that type of position that could become dangerous. But could that be beneficial to the overall research? I guess uh, you know uh, I, I've personally done experiments along these lines, not putting anybody in danger, but. Uh, at least in my know-how, <laughs> but uh, there could be benefits to having. Uh, I, like I said, I know there's going to be some female runners. I know a few of them personally, but and I do so. I do understand the pros and cons with with having females out in the field with a bunch of men over six months. I, I get all that, but there, there's a lot to be said, I guess, about possibly having a female out there um, if that's the scenario. If Sasquatch is indeed intra- attracted towards that. You know, uh, well, you know, everything is subject to change, and that right. is even, even even the things that are written in stone at the beginning of this could easily change within a month or two. We, we may we may change things around, we may do things differently, but I think initially from the get go, he does not want it to be anything aggressive. He wants to he wants to try to do as much as possible as as of filming these things at you know from from fixed positions. And, and having it be as less intrusive in their world as possible. You know, right. we know that they're going to be aware of us. We know that they're going to come around at a certain distance and check things out. That's what they do. But once we once we pull them into our camp to where they're sniffing a woman's tent or, or, or they start getting that close, then it no longer becomes natural. We've, we've changed their behavior. And, and I think we initially just want to start out trying to film them naturally behaving in nature. So the initial the initial commitment of time was is six months and and then talking to William and we've had him on the show a couple different times the um, the idea break after that and and how long uh, a commitment are you guys in for um, beyond the six months? Well, myself, uh, I've only signed up for the initial effort, the, the five to six months that we're going to be out there. This trip, I know I've heard William also discuss uh, a couple months off and then go out and do it again at a different location. I haven't signed up for that. <laughs> we'll see how this one goes. <laughs> and and uh, if we have any success at all, I'm sure there will be a long line of people ready to take my place if I don't sign up for the next one. Um, so, that, yes, those are in, in the plans, um, but I myself can't commit to anything beyond this first effort. I would agree. Randy, how about agree? Okay. Oh, I, gotcha. I, you know, hopefully, you know, he'll leave it up to me if I really need to see what happens in this six months. And I, I fully expect it to be successful. I truly do. And and I want to be a part of that. So 
depending on what happens, that's when I'll make a decision to commit to the next six months. Now, so have you guys, what, what would you define as? Yeah, what would you define as successful? What do you see as as a success, successful outcome for this? You know, the ground crew part of the project. For me, it Boy, would be the reaction ahead, of man. the panel. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Randy. For, for, I, I was going to say too. For, for myself, my criteria for success will be the reaction of the five scientist panel. If they say, "Wow, this is great stuff. We, we that we're ready to move forward with this," if if their reaction is positive by what we're bringing in, then I will consider that success. Totally agree. Perfect. Um, okay. Of course, I'll have my own uh, level of excitement. Uh, the main one will be uh, getting something on thermal video because that's been my uh, focus in my research. Um, I mostly conduct research using a thermal camera thousands and thousands of hours that I've recorded overnight with the thermal camera and reviewed and thousands of hours looking live through a thermal. So I really want one on, on thermal video, but I don't want a blurry blob in the distance or a short little scoot behind a brush. I want uh, a long-term, uh, clear, up-close, zoomed-in thermal video. Also, it would be nice if they did something unique that a human can't do, like jump 20 feet or climb 30 feet up a tree in two seconds. You know, something like that would be nice that nobody can claim, oh, that's just a human in a suit. But yeah. so, yeah, but but then after that, of course, what Randy says, if the panel approves or thinks that whatever we present is awesome, that will be successful. Yeah, and you guys Very don't good. seem like the uh you guys don't seem like the type that, you know, uh, will will uh uh, you know, hear or see something and run away. I, I would assume you guys will, um, as you're on the field and say you, you happen to uh, come upon a Sasquatch or something of interest and are filming it, you will, uh, by judgment and by maybe collaborating with the, your fellow field researchers, uh, decide to either either move towards the uh, subject or not. Because uh, a lot of people, you know, a lot of the complaints with, with thermal uh, videos and and sightings, people just stand back, and they don't actually. Uh, instead of uh, just kind of you know filming the, the thing the whole time, why don't they approach them, uh, see what how they react that way? I'm I totally guilty point. of that. That's 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 yeah. my uh, mo. That's what I did in New Mexico <laughs> yeah. when I got one on thermal video. I was standing there freezing my tail off in 20 degree windy weather, and I saw what I thought. Man, that looks interesting. What is that? And uh, I gave up on it. I was. I said, no, I'm cold. Oh, that must be a tree trunk. I'm done. And it wasn't until the next day when we looked at it on a computer monitor and was able to expand the image a little bit that it had the classic Sasquatch shape, and it wasn't there the next day. So it wasn't a rock. It wasn't a stump. It wasn't a tree trunk. So I understand what you're saying, and if that ever happens again, I'm not giving up on it. <laughs> well, I, was doing, I, I had a video at outside of Bennett Springs, Missouri, in a national park, in an, in an area that you weren't supposed to go in after dark. But, of course, I was in there after dark. And uh, uh, I, I got what I thought, and, and, and I believe to this day, was a juvenile up on a hillside behind some brush watching me and some other fellows walking down this trail. And you can clearly see a round head on top of shoulders peering over some brush. 
And so I watched the thing for a while and told the guys to walk on down the road, and I just watched it, and I just uh, I just watched it for probably five minutes, and it slowly dropped down out of sight. I mean, it was so imperceptibly slow that you would never think that it was moving if you hadn't watched it for an extended period of time. But eventually it dropped completely down, but just dropped so slowly. Eventually it was down and I couldn't see it. And so I started panning the hillside thinking it's going to pop up somewhere else. It's going to pop up somewhere else. And I, I spent two minutes just going all over the place with that thermal camera trying to see it. And I finally looked behind me on the trail and about 50 yards down the trail, it was standing just behind a tree looking out on the trail behind me. So it had moved from up on the hill down to the trail behind us. And at that moment, I told the guy, I said, I'm walking towards it. I said, I'm going to go towards it. And the, I mean, I took two steps towards it, and it dropped off into the left, down into a ravine, and was gone. So I, I, thought, I told myself, I'm not going to walk towards them again. I'm, not, I'm just going to turn around and walk backwards and film behind me and see if they follow me. But, you know, anybody who does research like Kirk and myself, it's, it's all trial and error. You learn. But I'm telling you, moving towards these things hasn't worked for me. It, it pretty much is like shining a flashlight at them. Uh, they need to know that you're not aware of them. They need to know that you are not on to them. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're excited. So uh, yeah. I, I think, and that's why I think one of the protocols is that we are not going to be leaving our position and moving towards. No matter what happens, you are not going to go towards them. You're not going to change their behavior. We're just going to hope that they move from one grid to somebody else's grid, and, and they will pick them up and, and, and watch them that way. Uh, so yeah. And the key is that I, we're going to continue to record we may not be moving toward them, but we're going to be recording the entire time so yes. that when they eventually do move, it will be recorded because there are so many, well, there are videos like mine from New Mexico or the Browns in Chehalis, Washington, where yep. uh, the the video, the video, the thermal video was stopped prematurely uh, so that when the creature moved finally, that was never seen. But in, in our efforts here, we're definitely going to just keep filming. We're going to never stop recording. Right. Excellent. Excellent point. Uh, yeah, that, that is uh, that is key. It seems like uh, some of the, I guess you could say, some of the more compelling thermal footages and videos out there, they always seem to uh, stop prematurely. And people are like, "Well, why did you stop? Why not keep yeah. filming?" Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's you know, it really does. Whether or not the film via if it's thermal or just a video, uh, it does so much harm to it because people are like, "Well, why did you stop stop filming? Uh, keep right. filming, even if it's two hours long. You know, keep filming. Uh, you're you know, that's where the the true answers are going to come from from some of these things because eventually, at some point." You know, I imagine if you're out in the field after two hours of filming something, you know, maybe eventually you might venture towards the subject or subjects, you know. Uh, you know, maybe that could be part of your protocol. I don't know. Yeah, but, make uh, sure we're not just filming a hot rock. Yeah, that's yeah, possible. Or we'll a, have to talk about it. A hot dump or whatever else. <laughs> right. But it will add legitimacy to what you guys are doing uh, by filming it that much longer. And I know you guys are going to be capable of doing that. So, and I, I know you guys will will do that. Uh, with, with both of you guys in regard, um, what specifically with with techniques are you guys bringing to the table, Randy and Kirk, 
what do you guys bring to the table, and and have uh, what have you shared with um, William that that he's looked at as beneficial, with whether ideas or uh, whatnot. For me, the, the main thing is my ther- experience with thermal imagers. Like I said, I, I've I've recorded overnight um, with this, putting a thermal in a stationary position, and then reviewing the the video that it recorded all night and uh, analyzing the various animals that walked in front of it as to what these animals were. And uh, hundreds of night walks patrolling an area, looking through the thermal live. Uh, It has given me extensive experience uh, evaluating thermal images and uh, what, what you're seeing. One of the things with the thermal camera is it's difficult many times for people who aren't experienced using one to understand the field of the, the depth of of what they're looking at the depth in the field of view um so many times you can see a heat signature and if you're not experienced you'll think that it's larger and in the distance when it's actually smaller and up close to you so a bunny rabbit can suddenly become a sasquatch peeking around a tree 100 yards away when it's actually just a bunny rabbit 50 feet away yeah, and so what, it, that's what I bring to the table is the experience with the thermal, in addition to a tenacity and a determined determination to help get to the bottom of this mystery and find evidence. Randy, well, uh, actually, when uh, William first lay, laid out the the plan for this this project, right off the bat, I, I realized that it fit exactly in the way that I have done almost all of my research. Almost all of my research is to go, go to areas that these things have been seen in, and then I camp for a few days. But what I do is I keep the camp as quiet as possible, and I spend most of the time in the tent letting the thermal camera or my parabolic do all the work. I let them come to me, and, and, I, and I basically just listen for certain movements or tree snaps or rocks being tossed or anything like that before I even – start paying attention to what's going on out there. It doesn't mean that I've heard something every time I go out. It just means that I've used those techniques to listen that if they're even coming around to begin with. But uh, So this doesn't fall out of the technique of what I've been using all along, and that is stationary position and let them come to us. So that's why I think it'll be easy for me to transition into what is needed on this project. Excellent. <clears throat> Excellent stuff, guys. Appreciate your... Uh your candor and answers with uh with regards to uh, now that you guys have gone public and people know who's involved with the ground crew um how do you guys handle i'm sure you've both been a part of uh pms and emails and phone calls the whole nine with with people asking you questions and attacking you how do you guys handle that uh do you guys uh try and answer everybody's questions uh you know i, I know both of you guys are not uh really involved with some of the, the the facebook groups and the online stuff but i'm sure you guys have been approached uh with with many questions and stuff how do you guys handle that especially the negative uh side of it uh when people come out and just attack you uh, has that happened and how do you handle it well fortunately most of the attacks are in regards to the airship and its uh, aerodynamic properties and ability to see through the forest canopy and things like that. And uh also William is getting a lot of the 
the attacks because of his unique nature of communicating. So the ground crew really hasn't been attacked much that I've noticed anyway. I think uh, I've actually encountered a lot of people expressing support and optimism toward the, what the ground crew should be able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, for myself, uh, you know, all those years that I was at the fire department and doing research, I worked with at least 50 firefighters, and they were well aware of my hobby. I, I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't quiet about it. When I saw one, I told them I saw it, and this is, you know, you either believe it or not, I don't care. Uh, so there would be times when I would go out and I would come back. So it was, there was about a 50-50 line at the fire department. Half the guys were always curious and interested whenever I'd come back from a squatching trip. Did you see anything this time? You got any pictures, blah, 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 and everybody would want to come to my room and see what I've got and collected and all that other stuff. And then there was the other half who thought I was crazy as a shithouse rat. But, uh, <laughs> and and, and there's, there's nothing you can do about that. For the longest time, I spent so much time trying to convince the the negative ones to believe me. I, I for some reason I just needed them to believe me that I saw what I saw and and I felt like that affected my credibility if somebody thought I you know was lying or not not being truthful. Man, it's, that's a hard thing to get over. You just got to get over it because you're not going to convince them. I mean, if they don't see one themselves, sometimes they're just not going to be convinced. And really, it's no different on the computer world. You're just going to get these people that, man, what can you do? I mean, you can't hold their hand and babysit them and walk them through this whole thing and make them feel better about it. If they're going to be turds, they're just going to be turds. Well, and there's no doubt that if the airship doesn't uh, become real or if it does get built and then it doesn't function properly, and that'll that'll just provide fuel for all the folks who were crowing that it wouldn't work to begin with, no doubt if the airship doesn't work, it's going to affect the reputation or the uh, image of the ground crew as well because we're all under the same Falcon Project umbrella. But right. um, I believe that the, the ground crew can stand alone in terms of uh, getting evidence and having a successful effort out there. And hopefully the airship will work, but if it doesn't, hopefully people will understand that we didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> Right, the airship right. is, is is not our baby. You right. know, the saving grace is if if before the the airship even gets deployed, if we if we get what we think we can get with the ground crew, it it, yes. it really won't matter. I mean, it's, we'll have me, a five month head start. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it, really, the ground crew um, to me is such a key component of this whole this whole endeavor. Uh, really, truly, a key uh, component of it uh, that um, the you know uh, the airship, as important and and as it as it, it has been portrayed to be and as its public's eye has been or is going to be, the ground crew to me is even that much bigger uh, a component. Uh, the stuff that uh, I mean, six months out in the field with equipment, with uh, the training and the backgrounds and everything else, what a it's huge. Uh, it'd be funny. It'd be funny to me that the ground crew comes back with more compelling evidence than the airship or whatnot. Uh, and I think you guys are very capable of doing that, being out there that long, and 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 uh, you know, staying serious to the subject, being skeptical with 
with what you guys are looking at or seeing or finding, uh, that is by far the more important aspect of it. Even though the Falcon Project, when people think of the Falcon Project, they think of this blimp and the ground crew's off to the side. They're just kind of following up with what right. you know, finds or doesn't find, whatnot. I, the ground crew is absolutely key and detrimental to this. If, if the ground crew fell apart, the blimp would almost mean nothing. Well, I I think that the the ground crew can operate without the blimp, but I don't think the blimp would, could operate without a ground crew. I mean, that's yeah. right. You know, right. That be you'd be drive. It'd be cool to fly around a blimp. The, the whole airship idea is really cool, and I can see it being a huge tool. But but to me, it, uh, the key is there's there's this group of people going out with with technology out to the field for into a squatchy area for six months. I mean, that hasn't been done before. I mean, not to this you know, degree where there's this much support. There are, some, there are some things that we are going to possibly be able to wrap our heads around. You know, most people that go out and research on their own or even among groups, they will say that they, they know that there's some kind of pattern that these animals move through the area every few days or maybe once a week, that they're not there every time, but they do seem to be coming through the area at certain intervals. So we have the potential to maybe see that. Let's just say we, we, we film a, a group of them or a family unit or whatever coming down a ridge or moving along a river and, and taking a certain route to go somewhere. And let's say we see it again four days later maybe we'll start to get a pattern of their travel path and, and, and their, the frequency of their using an area, and, and we'll use GPS locators to bring the airship in to watch this area at certain times. So, so the potential of being able to do things that have just never been done before is, I mean, the doors are open. Another thing you, yeah. uh, you guys or many people don't understand about the ground crew is that there's going to be a different shifts. There's going to be a, a, a few guys who work only during the daytime and then the uh, thermal observers who are going to work primarily during the nighttime. And the, the, the day guys are going to be uh, experienced scouts, trackers, who can um, scan the area, evaluate the area, looking for sign, and uh, then help the night crew know where to position. A lot of people didn't understand that aspect of it. No, fascinating stuff. What what is your guys' breaking point? When when say hypothetically, you know, something uh really negative happens, um who is willing to just hike out and go, I'm done. I'm out. See ya. Uh in what is your breaking point in um not that this will happen? But the possibility is out there that you know something uh, you don't agree with, uh, or some, something of that nature happens. What is your breaking point? Uh, do you guys believe? I mean, of course, it's it's all theoretical and whatnot. But what is your well, breaking knowing point? That's, <laughs> knowing that's an option, knowing yeah. that you're, you're not being held there against your will, knowing that if after two weeks you say I can't do this, and 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 you hike out with one of the runners and you just go on home. Knowing that you can leave whenever you want to should take away some of the anxiety of of thinking that you're going to be locked in for six months. So so that should make it easier to get you know at any point you think you've had enough you're free to go. So so that that takes away some of the pressure. Yeah, you guys haven't signed NDAs or contracts, correct? No, not yet. No, is is that something that's going to happen down the road here? Well, yes, I'm an sure. attorney, so uh, I've been 
trying to encourage William that there's something like that might be needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It could be important. Yeah. His initial plan was that no, none of that stuff would be signed. He was really trusting his people. But uh, when we get into the orientation meetings, uh, that's when we'll really sit down and discuss what kind of documents might be needed. Yeah, because it, it, I think it's important and for the reason that, say, you just get that rogue person in the group that is, um, you know, they get cell phone reception or something, and they're, they're given location coordinates or whatever else. That can right. really do harm to the project in general because then you can't rule out the human factor. If somebody is coming out there trying to check things out, saying, oh, I can be stealthy. I can go out there. I can do it. I can, I can fold a group, you know. Uh, there has to be, right. almost be, you know, you could say, well, we're going way out there and we're going no no person really goes. But at the same time, if you have that rogue person in the group, just saying, hypothetically, um, if, if there's not that sort of uh, uh, legal, legal agreement. Legal restriction, yeah. Yeah, legal restriction. Uh, that could happen. And, and it, for for the benefit of the project, I think it would be beneficial to do something of that nature. Agreed. Yeah. We're working on it. And uh, William and Dr. Meldrum are evaluating the need for those documents also with the uh, Idaho State University attorneys. Oh, well, that's that's really great to hear, because I would hate for the project to go down the road of allowing anybody to do whatever they want, um, and then and then have that distraction and that uh, that little negativity put in there, where someone could just give up the coordinates or put something out there prematurely, and uh, it it could do harm to the project as a whole. I, I mean, that's just my feeling. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Right. Well, you'd well, asked um, what – this is Kirk. You'd asked uh, what point I might come to to uh, want to remove myself. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to answer that because I have some guys that I go squatching with often here in Washington, and they all had an outing that I wasn't able to attend, and then I was hearing later how they were all sitting around the fire making estimates about how long I'd last out there. And I said, oh, really, what did everybody say? And, oh, two weeks, three weeks, longest was a month. <laughs> and I said, what? That's the reputation I have? And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of a motivating factor that uh, I'm going to stick it out as long as I can just to show those guys. <laughs> but I'm confident I can make the entire six months. I, I find that hilarious because you're one of the guys that I have trust in that will actually, if anybody will will actually last the longest if it were to come down to people uh, not being able to handle the, the terrain and the weather. No, I, I really do. Uh, and that's why I was really <laughs> happy uh, to find out that you are part of it because I, I really do feel that it will it won't be an issue for you. I, I, I have no doubts about that. I think you'll you'll um, man you'll you'll be one of the guys that will uh, handle, I mean, not just because you're from the state and know the weather and the climate and the terrain and all that, but just your um, demeanor and <clears throat> behavior that I've seen. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you work with the Limit Project and and uh, and uh, everybody that I've ever talked to before I ever met you always gave you high credence and, and whatnot. So I, I, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> Well, I think there's always going to be a – everything's going to be filmed and recorded for a potential documentary or TV show, right. and none, none of that has been set yet. But uh, that's another thing that goes in the back of your mind. Who wants to be the guy who 
got soft and Tapped decided they had to leave. And then <laughs> you, your turning soft is for everybody to see on TV. That's not going to be cool. Yeah, well, we have no, a private no, I'm, page. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. We have a private page where all the members are the sole members of this Facebook page. That's mm-hmm. where we can get to know each other. And I made a post on there uh, maybe even a month ago, and I said, you know, I just said, look, I said, if you haven't lived your life in a way that has been self-disciplined, have denied yourself things to reach a certain goal, I said, this trip is not going to be easy for you. I mean, that's just as blunt as it can be. If you are not already living your life in a self-disciplined way, you're going to struggle for six months out there. Yeah, no, I, well, I concur there. I concur. I mean, uh, I live here in, in Oregon, and I've spent uh, weeks out in the field, uh, not lately, um, due to uh, the daily hardships of just trying to survive in, in life in general. Uh, I'm seriously jealous of you guys because I, I wanted to be a part of this project. It's just not uh, feasible for me. Uh, maybe I will eventually be a runner, uh, possibly down the road. I know some, you know, some of my fellow researchers are runners. Uh, but uh, man, I'm I'm jealous because this is a great opportunity. Um, to do something unique and and uh, serious, and I, I know that all of you guys uh, are taking this very serious. I mean, this is a uh, this is a good portion of your life uh, and, and and whatnot that you are giving up to do this field uh, justice, something serious. So I have to give you guys a lot of uh, just uh, kudos and whatnot. And uh, and can all, you know I I will never be a detractor. Uh, you guys, I hope all the best for you guys. I really do, and I'm really looking forward to what you guys bring to the table, uh, and what you guys share, and what's brought out of uh, this 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 you know um, endeavor. So thank well, you. Thank guys. you so much. Th- th- thank you so much for saying that. I mean, really, that's the best that we can hope for at this point is to. to get people like this even to say it publicly that you know what these guys are doing the best that they can do with what they've been given and they're they're going to try to make the best of it and and we're doing it for everybody and yeah it's selfish reasons also but but still it's to further this whole thing and it means so much when we get somebody who's who will support us even just verbally you know being a radio host or something like that because you know that's going to reach other people and we don't have all the answers about the airship we don't have all the answers and we have no idea What's going to happen once we hit that melting pot and we all kind of have to blend together? I mean, there's going to be all kinds of things. We can speculate all day long as all the negative things that's going to happen or what you know what you don't think is going to happen, but we just don't know till we get there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, though, is you know I'm a, I'm an avid researcher. Uh, I work with the Project and 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 the Tillamook Group and with Gunner, and um, I know what it takes uh, to be on the field for a couple of days. I know what it takes to be on the field for a, a few weeks. This endeavor is is quite unique uh, because of the amount of people involved in in air, all the equipment and everything else. Uh, it's really exciting for me. Something I'm really looking forward to watching and seeing what happens. And I know that the the, the areas you guys are going to um, are it's it's exciting because there are there's a history there. There's uh, recent sightings, uh, historical sightings, and whatnot. So it's it's exciting for me. And, uh, yeah, do I have a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, personal whatever towards the project? Yeah, sure. Because 
I've invested a lot of time and effort into promoting this and to looking into it and learning the eight, you know, the ins and outs of this project, and I'm excited about it. So, yeah, I'm going to uh, promote this project because I think it's valuable. It's there's a lot of negativity and a lot of crap hoaxing all out in the field, but this is something positive that I can look to and go. There's this chance you're putting yourself out there, and that's one of the key things is just putting yourself out there. in this endeavor and you know let the cards fall where they may but by doing this uh it's a positive thing there's i don't see a whole lot of negative it either works or it doesn't but it's it's a valiant effort thank you yeah well we've got about a minute and a half left in the show i i like to thank you guys too i mean uh how many people are ended up being on the on the field crew there's like 15 is that right yeah. Well, it was supposed to be 10 originally around that number, and then uh, William just kept adding another guy that he couldn't refuse. And okay, I think so, we're up to 15 now, yeah. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that, that's a hell, of a, a hell of a commitment to put your life on hold to go out and, and uh, but, but, but what an opportunity for an adventure. Uh, I know that, that Shane, I speak for Shane when I say we wish you guys the best of luck out there. And we look forward. To, we'll hope you'll come back on the show and tell us. Uh, you know, six months afterwards, we'll uh, be keeping uh, tabs on you and checking on what what your progress is. Um, and we just wish you the best of luck. It, you know, nothing ventured, nothing, nothing gained. And and uh, I admire your commitment to go out and, and spend this much time. Um, it's just just uh, we're hoping that something comes awesome comes out of it. So. With or without the the airship. So we really appreciate you guys coming on. And and, uh, uh, for for Shane Corson, this is Gunnar Monson. And uh, next, uh, excuse me, join us again next weekend, uh, Sunday night at 4 p.m. Pacific for Monster X Radio. And we are out. All right. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, guys. All righty.